This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. Merry Christmas to every single Fulham fan out there. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me, uh, plenty of Christmas spirit, Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. Mr. Cameron Ramsey. Ho, ho, ho. And of course, Lydia Campbell. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. How are we all? How are we feeling? How was your Christmas, Lydia? Yeah, very good, very good. Very uh, fortunate to get home, so uh, so that's always a bonus. But I'm beginning to see what my life would be like as an only child, because <laughs> no no one else is home. It's me and my parents, but it's uh, we're we're surviving so far. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it's slowly for all of us, I think. Cam, how did you get on? Uh, it was all right, man. Edward says a hands and a load of beer and gammon. So what can I say? It was uh, normal, to be fair. Yeah, that sounds like it, that sounds like every day for you. Never mind, never mind Christmas. And Dom, I saw you were making something a little bit different. Yeah, the Cantonese roast duck came in. I was like, considering it's only me and my parents, I was like, no, we're making something different. So not because I don't rate turkey. I think it's such a pointless meat. Like, I just, I just, I just don't get it. So yeah, you, whack, you, whack the, you whack the Cantonese roast duck in, which actually wasn't didn't t- wasn't actually that complicated. Really, it was just cutting it the night before. Uh, letting it dry and then cooking it the next day. I obviously dim some for starters because you know what, what else? What else you're gonna have? What else that. you gonna have on Christmas? He says. Yeah, exa- exactly. And but you know, to be fair, I was I was battered by lunchtime anyway, so um, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Too, I was doing fine just on the Changs, and then uh, then the <laughs> champagne, then the champagne came out, and it was game over. Right. Well, that was so. Uh, that was pretty much Christmas in a in a nutshell, wasn't it? And uh, it, it's a strange one for everyone, but Fulham. Didn't seem to be too hungover from things. And it was a, a game against Saints that we were a little bit worried about. And turns out maybe perhaps something we should have got more than we did. So, Dominic, should we start with some free word reviews? Yeah, I'm going to Instagram for today. So we seem to go on Twitter recently. Uh, the first one is Ruben Costas Cheek from Harry Drew. Obviously, there's a lot of chat about Ruben Cheek and what does he actually offer this Fulham side. Um, you've got K Martin with VAR as a Saint, obviously, with the two disallowed goals, which, to be honest, I thought both looked offside from watching them live anyway but uh, thankfully obviously the second one got dragged got dragged back out obviously Cav can't head from Aaron Lamb because that I don't actually understand how he put that header so high and wide um and, and we have Ishan MS with Saint exactly striking Saint exactly striking it is, uh, <laughs> and like Cam let's start there it, it does seem like Fulham if you'd offered us, shall we say, Fulham getting unbeaten for four games at the start of the season, a lot of people would have bitten your hand off for it, right? But the flip of that is we seem to be a little bit toothless up top. What's your kind of overall take on everything? Well, I think, you know, the games that we've had recently, we obviously were unlucky not to get the win against Liverpool. I think we were robbed of that. The uh, victory up at the King Power against Leicester was uh, a fantastic performance all round from everybody. Uh, the draw against Newcastle, once again, we were a bit hard done by, by you know, officiating and the decision making there. But I, I, I like to think that we've actually performed rather well. I think we've got ourselves a solid uh, foundation now defensively that we can build on. But yeah, going forward, we've got no firepower whatsoever and we just seem to be a little bit out thought um, in terms of chance creation. We're quite easy to, uh, quite easy to contain and... Um, and yeah, I, I I just think there's uh, there needs to be a little bit more impetus going forward and a bit more creation. But where does that come from? And that's a conundrum that we're faced with. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, Lids, I can imagine that's something you agree with. What, what was your take on yesterday's game? Yeah, I, I mean, yesterday I think the the subs ha- had to be um, had to be brought on a lot earlier. That that's my main you know takeaway from it. Um, you know, I agree that we're much better at the back. I can't remember when, the, probably against Man City was the last time we've conceded from from open play. Um, you know, there hasn't been a penalty. You know, I don't know whether that's actually a bad thing in a way because we keep giving away away pens. But I think 
moving forward, you know, at the top side of the pitch, there is just something massively missing at the minute. Um, And I don't know what we actually do to to sort that when I consider we'll have Alexandra Mitrovic on the bench, but not fit in that style. I'm not really sure what to... What, what what Scott has to do, really. Dom, I, I want to talk about the Mitrovic thing in, in kind of more detail later down the line. We've got a lot of questions about it. I think it's something we can discuss, a kind of holistic whole. Uh, yesterday, it did seem that Fulham were a little bit stodgy. There wasn't much created. Obviously, the, the chance for Anguissa in the first half, the chance for Cavallero in the second. But ultimately, uh, aside from that, it wasn't a, a high kind of moment in terms of what we were creating but the defense does look excellent and I think for I want to start with the positives I want to start with the fact that we look for the first time in a long time solid you know and, and stable at the back which is you know it is plenty it's nice to see yeah the last time we were probably this strong defensive maybe towards the latter end of the uh, Mark Hughes season potentially or beginning of Martin Yolrain but apart from that we we, we were still sort of outscoring opponents hit towards the end of our Premier League reign and I'd much rather have the problems we're facing now than the problems we had two years ago I'd much rather be attacking being our potential uh, downfall in a moment compared to our defence than it was two years ago I think it's potentially a lot easier to fix than it is when it comes when it when it comes to your, your defence because we have got players in the team who can score goals it's just getting them you know in the right system to score the goals they can and I think one thing that we could potentially see a difference is when uh, Kenny Tete comes back and we could see Bobby Decadova read through the middle in this counter-attacking system, which might work slightly better. But yeah, I think what happened was really is Southampton knew that Lookman is our main attacking threat going forward and he was double or triple man marked every single time he was close to getting the ball. And, you know, Loss of Cheek hasn't really offered much since he's come in. Cavalero, although he broke our penalty deduct, I think that's the only goal he scored for us in his last 30 games or something crazy like that. So I think obviously going forward, we do, we do need to improve, but I'm happy where we are at the moment that we have we have shored up at the back and I think goals will come because I think either we've, we've got players who can score and we've got this January transfer window here where we could bring in someone who could you know with a bit of pace up top who's got who's got an eye for goal who could, who could score for us and I think I think yeah the get a point against Southampton although it is disappointing to an extent you've got to look at their away record their record against recently promoted teams I know they're with three or four of their key assets so we should have probably taken advantage of that but you know you as we'll get on to as we're playing the likes of Burnley, Brighton and West Brom all before the end of January. And, you know, come February the 1st, we really could be looking in a much better position. We could actually look at these four games here, these four draws, actually, that it just kept momentum going. I think that's one point you got to look at is, although it's disappointing not to have won like at Newcastle and against Southampton yesterday, and even arguably to an extent against Liverpool, it's... For for us, I think it's just keeping that momentum going. And I think that's been the best thing about this run, despite the lack of goals. Yeah, I was going to come on to this, Cam. And, and there's there's a kind of question in, in the mix that is it better to, to kind of draw three games on the trot or lose two and win one? I mean, it's the same amount of points. So, it, it, But it does give you some sort of consistency. Well, that's exactly it. At least we are consistent in the fact that we're picking up these points. And towards the end of the season, they all pay dividends. We've, we've, we've covered this before especially in the Premier League and the fight that we're in, you can't necessarily put a price on these on these points and draws that uh, we're, current, we're currently faced with. Because imagine losing these these four games of which we picked up points in. We'd be, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be cast away. We'd be completely cut off from, you know, the rest of the chasing pack. And I'd like to think that we've really shown some resolve and uh, we've, we've gelled as a team the last couple of weeks and, it, it, it is just it, it is just the old same situation at the moment. We just can't seem to to buy a goal, but I'm sure it will come. I mean, Dom Dom said perfectly well that we do have players that can score um, quite freely when they're uh, when they're firing on all cylinders and uh, full of confidence and actually placing us in 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 the right position on the pitch. But it's just uh, making sure that the players that we have at our disposal are uh, you know are, are deployed in the right way, and it just goes to show with a player. Like Dick or Dover Reed, for example, I know we've got Kenny Tete coming back in hopefully very soon, but he's been a real revelation since moving to that uh, strange right wing back kind of right wing position where uh, the adaptability is there. He's still our top scorer as well, and it just goes to the it goes to show the effort and effort within the squad that we have players that want to try hard regardless of where they're played and deployed on a weekly basis. And uh, I, I, I'd much rather us have drawn these four games and you know dropped maybe. 
drop maybe three points in, in a game, I don't know, for example, against Newcastle, where we could have grabbed a point at the end and we could have let it slip and that would have really deflated us. So it's something to build on, it's something to work with and there's uh, there's no harm in picking up a picking up a hard end point no for sure and and Lids kind of in that kind of regard there's there's something about the way that that Fulham line up at the moment that is obviously giving us a little bit more sustainability in terms of our defensive output and we're seeing what Bobby Reed is bringing in that in that wing back bro I've called him a Swiss army knife in the past <laughs> I think it, it's very fitting in terms of what he brings and, and is able to bring in those different capacities you know someone who was an eight and then became a nine and and, and now has the kind of defensive work rate to get up and down that side but there is the kind of counterpunch in that in that regard that when you look at the position maps and stuff from yesterday you see that he played mostly in the same way that who played mostly in the same way from right back or right wing back as, as Anthony Robinson did and that probably does hold us back in an attacking sense a little bit because it shows us that you know they're they're not playing a four-two-three-one as it's sometimes billed. It is very much a five at the back, and and we're lacking offensively because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the key things that Bobby um, Bobby Decor Reed has kind of changed his game is that he has become more defensive. Now, maybe that's just because that's the role he's been asked to play at the minute, but naturally when he's playing in that position, he isn't going to have any sort of impact on the attacking side of the of, of the pitch. Um, and, and that's understandable. Um, I wouldn't change it at the minute. I wouldn't change what, what you know, there's been a few calls on Twitter to, to, to have Bobby through the middle. I wouldn't be doing that until, I think it was, as Dom says, um, you know, when, when um, Kenny Tete's back. I think... It, you know, we're going to have to kind of maybe suck it up a, li- a little bit at the minute, you know, because at the start of the season, our defensive record was so, so bad. It was di- diabolical. And at the end of the day, that is the thing that we needed to fix. We didn't need to fix our, you know, how, how we, we were going forward. Um, not, But now that we have this, this kind of solid base, that's when we're going to have to try and fix now that side of the pitch. Um, I think it's understandable that we're scoring le- le- less goals at the minute, but I think the the key thing here was that we sorted out the the, the defence, which we seem to to have done. Um, so maybe January is going to be the key for to, to kind of fi- fix that kind of offensive um, mindset of the of of how we're, we're we're setting up at the minute. Yeah, I mean, and and it comes on to the big question, Dom: Do we need to invest now in January? Because you know, there's a lot of talk about outgoings and, and the fact that Fulham have, have spent a fair bit and, and, and whatever we do here needs to be sustainable. You know, it can't be a short-term fix, it feels. Yeah, and no, I was talking about this with my mates earlier about sort of what sort of player would you, should you be looking to get in if we're looking for an attacker in this, obviously, January transfer, which I think we will. I mean, players that spring... To, obviously, there was links and the rumours to Josh King in the previous window, which would be a good player to bring in. I think it needs to be someone in that sort of mould. Um, definitely a mobile striker up top. Obviously, another player we're not necessarily linked with, but an interesting talking point is obviously Adam Armstrong at Blackburn, former Newcastle striker, who's obviously, I think he's the second top goal scorer in the championship at the moment. And, you know, that would be a wise investment in case, worst case scenario, we were to go down. We know we've got a championship ready striker there, but also a player who will want to prove himself in the Premier League. And then, you know, it, it, it just, if, but if you're going by what Scott Barker said, it looks like we're only going to be in the loan market for a player. And then who who does that limit you to? Is it someone like who? And who, how long are we going to wait until the Dwight Gale rumors start again? Yeah, like um, <laughs> they're, but, they're already back. <laughs> yeah, but but like for me, it it's it, I'm interested to see how they invest because investment is clearly needed. I think no team can afford to not invest in considering not invest in their squad. But I do think a mobile striker going forward is going to be key. And obviously, if it was me, I'd like to see Josh King in just because I think he. Would offer us something different, and we know he can, you know, he can score goals in the Premier League. I know he wasn't quite up to speed last season, but I think in seasons previous, you've seen what quality he can offer. And so I think that's where we'll be looking to invest. And if if we could choose one other position, I would actually be looking at a wide player as well. I mean, mm. it's probably a bit above our reach, but even some, even looking at someone like Damari Gray at Leicester, 
like someone someone of his ability, I think, could really change this team. But he's obviously linked with bigger teams than us, so it could be quite hard to get him in. But it's def it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Are they looking to get players in on a permanent deal, or will they be looking to, for a more sustainable option, such as someone like an Adam Armstrong? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a it's one that keeps coming up, but I'd be very surprised if we can get Adam Armstrong on any sort of sensible money. You know, this this January, considering how well he's playing, but also you know where we are and where where Blackburn are. It's always a little bit kind of up and down to pick someone from a promotion contender to go to someone who's struggling to play to stay in the Premier League, right? It's a, it's a gamble that a lot of players aren't willing to take. So there's that element, and and we can come on a little a little bit more to this towards towards the end of the show. But I mean, just to go back to Southampton very briefly, and and just a touch maybe for the you know the defence and for for Jerkim Anderson in particular, Cam. You know, there's two very tight off cycles that that denied Southampton two goals and. While a lot of people were saying that it was lucky and they were, you know, Fulham were rode their luck a little bit, which you can say, there was also a sense that we were stepping up at the right times, pulling the the offside lines in the in the right times, and and then if you look at that, you think how important was Joachim Anderson coming back in and and being able to play in that game? Well, definitely, Joachim Anderson, he's he's made a huge difference to the way that we uh, execute our defensive responsibilities. He's a Born leader, he commands his defence, uh, keeps them all in check as well, and he's constantly scanning to make sure that we're all uh, we're all basically in one one straight line across the back four without any any weird kind of you know waves going across with players kind of dropping into areas they shouldn't. Um, especially Olareno, I think, is actually uh, he's he's gotten himself into you know he he just seems to be someone who switched on a lot more now, and that is down to the people that he's next to, and. You know, it was very, it was very tight. It wasn't necessarily, you know, something that was clear and obvious. I don't think so, anyway. But it's down to the leadership qualities that we have at the back now. And um, I, I think yesterday we would have struggled without Anderson um, at the heart of our defence because he's building a great relationship with Tosin as well, who has come on absolutely fantastically well since leaving Manchester City. He's taken an opportunity in the Premier League at a club which was going to struggle. He knew that he was going to be pressed up against the wall as well and uh, he's going to be tested his credentials but he's got someone next to him that you know they, they communicate well and they both work as a pair one sticks one twists one attacks and one drops off and it's uh proven beneficial now and we're reaping the rewards of that defensively so um Southampton they they, they tried to break us down you know you had you had Shane Long using his Quote experience. I don't really know how that works when you're drawing fouls, to be quite honest with you. But they tried to split the lines. They tried to break us down. But we we, we, were, we were resolute and we made it very, very difficult for them to operate between the gaps and the lines. And uh, it's testament to the lads that we brought in. And we've got to remember that the whole the whole, the whole back three with the wing backs, is, 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 it's all new. It's never been tried and tested before at this level before this season really and they've all they, they've all connected and gelled fantastically well and you've got to put that down to the training and all the hard work that's gone in at, at Mossberg Park and it's starting to come to fruition on the pitch so so great and it was excellent yesterday again defensively yeah absolutely I mean uh, that's it isn't it we feels like the defenses are you know getting stronger and that in itself is something to, to build off and that's what we're going to and there's plenty of questions so we'll get on to them actually after the break With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Cam Ramsey. Evening. And Lady Campbell. Good evening. And good evening to you all. And uh, we continue now. There's some questions. And this one we got as an email from Alex Jones. He says, long time listener, first time emailer. Is Scott Parker a better Premier League manager than a championship manager? Dom, I'll start with you here. Yeah, I've, I mentioned this a lot of times. I think, yes. I think he does a lot better when not well we saw in championships maybe in one-off games you know the game of at home to Leeds obviously the, in the playoffs um away at Cardiff and in the playoff final he, I think he, he deals a lot better either in 
particular situations or when Fulham are maybe expected to be the underdog or have less of the ball. I think his, his tactical setups work a lot better in this way. So it may, it's maybe not he's a better championship manager than a Premier League manager or vice versa. I just think in the situation we are in now suits his managerial skill set. And if you look at him, what he was like as a player, just suits suits him a lot more. I don't think dominating the ball and you know being the being one of the better teams in the league at the moment in his skill set. Obviously, he's a very young manager. He is essentially learning on the job, which we have seen because he's made the early mistakes and he and we've and we've learned from them. But I would say his his managerial skill set, as I mentioned, is definitely more suited to the situation we are in now as opposed to the one we were going out from the Premier League and trying to get back into it. Cam. Yeah, I agree. I think he reacts well under pressure. And like Dom says, as a player, he usually played for teams other than, of course, Tottenham, his time at Chelsea, where he was always the underdog and he had to uh, lead by example. And he's doing that from a technical area, definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just I just think he uh, adapts his adapts his managerial nous quite well to situations where we may be put under pressure and uh, tested tested um, relentlessly and it's proven this season at least in the last couple of games yeah I think that is fair enough in terms of this uh, you know coming away from the style though a bit Liz is this kind of where he can he's put his stamp on his squad and be like right we don't have to we don't have to play in a in a way that we we don't want to necessarily we're not expected to you know to push on and does that suit his his temperament because what he is you know seemingly good at lids is is learning from his mistakes but also being an inspiration people talk about how how good a manager he is to work for in terms of what he can say and i guess these are experiences these relegation scraps these you know battles are something that he has far more experience as, of than actually going for, for the top spots yeah, I think I think he's much better as as an underdog, um, and I think that that's kind of shown already this this season from what he's changed from the start of the season to to where we are now. Whereas when you're fighting at the top of the league, like we were trying to do last season, you know we weren't blowing teams away like you know our fans wanted us to. We weren't doing it. But the games that we did well in were the games where we were desperately, desperately in need of points. Um, and as you say, I think that comes from his kind of motivational, um, inspirational side of him um, that, that, you know, we can even see from some of, the, of his post-match interviews. He's the kind of play, he's the kind of manager I think I, I would want to play for because of what he says and how he gets people up for things. But I do think that that works better at the minute as an underdog, as the team who everyone expects to win. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, we better get on to Mitrovic because the uh, the questions are heavily skewed in favour of the big man. And we'll start with John Harkness. He says, do we sell Mitrovic? We're doing him a disservice bringing him in on the 80th minute. He deserves better. And is Parker playing games with him? Cam, I'll come to you here first. Well, no, I don't don't think selling him is the right answer at all. I mean, he offers a different dimension when we need a big target man to go to. I mean, I agree that he should have come on a lot earlier, especially if we were using the channels in the way we did to try and get crosses into the box and to have a natural finisher there. I mean, we've already touched on it already. If, if Caballero could header properly, then uh, we may well have actually found ourselves 1-0 up. But if that was Mitrovic in that situation, and I know that... You said it. You said it yesterday or the day before, Jack. Of course, where he would never have actually got in that position because he's just not mobile enough. But in in an ideal world, if he was if he was placed in that position unmarked, he would have definitely made something happen or at least worked the target. Um, you, you know, I, I just think we're trying to we're trying to add a new bow to both. Well, a new string to our bow um, in terms of the way that we approach games. And long were the days where we just look as Mitrovic as a sole sole kind of get out target man we need to try and implement something a bit deeper in terms of the way that we move forward we're not doing it at the moment but but no I mean I'm sure Mitrovic can adapt his game as well he's not necessarily just a one-trick pony he can make things happen he can turn on the box he can he can he, he can score from anywhere really if we, once he's once he gets his head down and he works hard I just think he's not quite there at the moment but no so selling him is definitely an option no way I wanted to come on to this, Liz, because there is a, an element here where when he's come on recently, I think he looks leaner. He looks, you know, a, a little bit more hungry in that regard. And when he did come on yesterday, he had a snapshot, a goal. We saw a shot. And and Daniel at Reed all over us, how can he possibly not be starting? There were so many times we're in decent crossing positions and had nobody in the box. We're really struggling to finish our chances. And this is, I think, the key point. He says, surely it's pointless having the extra pace if nobody can finish the chances off. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a very good point. And I think when when um, Robinson put that ball in for for Cav, you could see him look up and say, "Oh, you know, someone in the box. I'm going to get this cross in mega early." You know, people are saying, "Well, Mitrovic wouldn't have wouldn't have been there." But then the cross wouldn't have been played yet. The cross just would have been delayed for me, and you know, then we 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 might have had that 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 chance. Um, I think that the key is finding the right balance at the minute. We we haven't found it yet, clearly. Um, but I think we can. I think you know, one of the first things Mitchell did when when he came on yesterday was. Um, jump up around the halfway line, win a ball, and give it straight to to, um, to Robinson, who, who was away down down the wing. Um, you know, Cav doesn't do that. Cav, you know, that's not his his kind of um, game at all. So while we need to find, you know, we, we need someone a little bit, maybe a bit more mobile than Mitrovic. Maybe the answer is to have Mitrovic alongside someone a bit more mobile. But unfortunately, it might just mean that we need to kind of change our, our, our lineup a little bit or the way we start. And I'm not quite sure Parker's well willing to, to do that to do that at the minute. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, Dom, I haven't been the biggest Cav fanboy for, for a long time, right? I think he's he's a little bit wasteful. I think that in terms of what he offers, you know, while his work rate is strong, he has been he's been lacking. But I actually think he's done all right in the last couple of games. You know, he's held on the ball well. He's got in the middle. He, he's got behind the defender and he's he's held it up reasonably well. Not not necessarily in the same way that Amitrovic would. You know, it's not off the chest and hold. But, you know, he takes the ball down. He goes back. He checks on himself and he tends to beat a player and lay it off. And actually, in, in that regard, has he done enough to, to warrant being dropped? It, it, you know, I don't think he's done you know, loads in those things. But I also don't think he's been bad enough to be like, you have to drop him now. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's simply a fact of, oh, Cavs not scoring, we'll replace him with a goal scoring Mitrovic and that's that. I don't think it's it's ever going to work in that way because this system's been created for, for for players who don't, who I don't, which isn't based around Mitrovic's skill set. That's why this system has worked so well. And I don't think, you know, just because we're not scoring goals right now doesn't mean this system should be totally scrapped and we bring in Mitrovic and play a completely different way. I think it's about trying to fit in Mitrovic into this team because he is the main goal-scoring threat in this side. And we saw that in, in since he's joined the club, even on loan from Newcastle United in second half of 17-18. So I think, you know, Cavalero's done the job he's needed to do, obviously apart from putting the ball in the back of a net. But I mean, in regard to... Um, him and Lookman being both sort of a quick player up top, I think it works. When it, I think you know, I think I I would want to see Mitrovic in against Spurs um, because I think Spurs' centre backs are there to be got at. Especially you know, I think Alderweireld, although he's he's how good of a centre back he is, I think uh, due to his age now he is there to be got at. And if if Mitrovic can hold it up and allow the likes of Reed, Lookman, and Robinson to really uh, damage Spurs in behind, then we then we could cause him some issues. But I think that. It's it's not as simple as just bringing Mitrovic into the side and we'll score goals. I don't I don't we saw that against Newcastle. It's not it's not just going to work like that. But I do think it we do need to work out a way to fit Mitrovic into this team because of the threat he is going forward for us. But I don't. It's going to be something that happens over time. It's not going to be something that just happens straight away because as as we as we've been talking about in this um in the way the way this this system is it's it's been suited to players more you know with pace on the counter attack so i think it's you're just going to have to give it time because yes it's it, we saw the defense is is, is very sudden and it's going to and it's going to stay like that but Mitrovic and Kenny do have a part to play here and it's going to be just slowly bending them into the team so we don't have to force any too, any major changes to the tactical setup. Yeah, and that's it. And it goes back to what we were talking about in the first half of this show, doesn't it? When we were talking about the, the defensive solidity and, you know, all of that does start to a point at the front. You know, it's the pressing game and it's the different elements that all of those players can bring when they drop in, which is not something you'd perhaps ask as much of an Alexander Mitrovic. But, I mean, Kaz Banks makes the, the very valid point that given that Mitrovic has been pivotal to us the last couple of seasons, he deserves a, pro- a chance to prove himself rather than be given scraps in the last few minutes. And I, I think that's fair, Cam. I, I don't think it's it's right to be giving Mitrovic seven minutes at the end of a game. And look, we don't know the exact ins and outs of his fitness and the fact that I think he is getting back to that kind of leaner shape suggests to me that maybe Scott has asked him 
to you know to work on on that element of things to in order for him to fit into this system and maybe that's something he's playing at but the moment he isn't quite right for that 90 minute role no, correct and he obviously started the game against Newcastle hopefully to make an impact against a former employer but it didn't quite happen for him and it proved that he was quite easily dealt with and it's been a couple of weeks since then and obviously it's a bit of a difficult period for even players to get themselves 100% physically fit because you know with families you've got festivities going on despite the fact we're in you know COVID and such you might 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 be elsewhere and that might be the fact for Mitrovic you don't know what's going along in his personal life that might have affected his performances recently and I'm, you know I'm not speculating on anything at all there it's, it's, it's just how it naturally could be but yeah I think Kaz is completely correct you can't necessarily have a player of you know Mitrovic's prowess and expect him to be happy with coming on with 10 minutes to go and saying yeah go and make things happen man because there, there is no, there is no ammunition him for him there to actually work with, and that's something that we've struggled with for quite a long time now. I mean, the only game that we actually really looked like getting him into any real scoring positions was away at Leeds, where of course he scored two goals and uh, looked a threat. But since then, it's, it's it's been really you know sporadic the way that he's been playing, and uh, it, you know even for a player like Mitrovic who seems to be such a massive uh, you know a, a massive personality within the squad, he still has to have. He still has to have confidence in his game and his ability. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Scott's taken him to one side the last couple of weeks. He's let him know that he's still very much a part of our plans. And it's just shoehorning him in the right capacity. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure now that he's seemingly getting himself back to a physical peak, he can he can find an extra gear, potentially pick up the pace a little bit more going forward and be a little bit sharper on the ball to incorporate players a bit more. And we'll... Uh, we see the Mitrovic of which we expect to see and which we know that someone who bags goals guarantees goals and will make things happen. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I mean, let's move it on to someone else who's perhaps we're not getting the best out of right now. Gary Lids asks, how do we get the best out of Loftus-Cheek or is this as good as he gets? And it feels tricky at the moment. It feels like there's a player in there, as Cam wrote in his five thoughts, but we're just not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a case of him this being the best that we can get out of him. I think the problem is where he's playing at the minute. I think, you know, it, it doesn't suit him at all. You know, he looks nervous. He, he's When he does drop back to try and win the ball back, he ends up, you know, somehow losing it or, or, you know, causing us more problems. Um, you know, that he seems to be he seems to be a bit lost. And and I get that Parker is asking him to play that. You know, he's asking him to, to change the, the kind of role that, that he's used to. But I just feel that he's had so many games so far to kind of try and fit that that it it, it just it just hasn't worked. Um, for me, I think he shouldn't be playing in a, in a top three the way he has been. It, it's a, you know, it's it doesn't suit his game at all. Whenever we know that there is a very good player in there, I don't know whether it's a confidence thing, whether it's a fitness thing, uh, whether it's the fact that you know he barely had any game. T- well, he barely had any starts last season. Um, I think he was he at Palace last season. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but he hasn't. He, there's something not quite right at the minute, and him playing on the like right wing the way he seems to be at the minute is not working at all. And um, for me, I would rather have him out of the team altogether than trying to fit him in somewhere that, that just doesn't suit that just doesn't suit him at, um, at all. Um, I think he, he's better kind of as a, a you know in in the midfield. You can see that he keeps trying to to drop back. And that's because he's more used to that to that position. But because that's not the role he's supposed to be playing in, he's either getting in the way or it's just kind of, it means that when we do win the ball back, he's not actually anywhere where he needs to be. Um, for me, I think he needs he, he needs out, out, out of the team at the minute until there's kind of a gap where, where he can fill, um, fill in the midfield, which I don't think is going to happen. To be honest, I think... He's kind of a bit of a waste of a of a domestic loan at the minute because we don't have the space for him. It's not that he's a bad player. It's not that he's you know been an absolute um, disaster. I just think the way we're playing at the minute, we have plenty of players in his favoured position who, for me, get on ahead of him. And you know, if if Scott is saying that we're only going to be in in the loan market in the um in in the January window. 
to be honest, I'd be sending him back back to Chelsea and bringing in so- someone who has who can play in that front three. Yeah, I mean, Dom, I want to take your thoughts on this because we've seen Ruben Loftus-Cheek be be excellent for for various different things, and actually, I think perhaps where his best kind of explosion of form came was for the England under twenty one team when back when Gareth Southgate was was managing them, and they you know played in that, that summer tournament. I think it was in Toulon. Yeah, it was um, a was, Yeah, yeah. And he was playing behind kind of well in a, in a various roles, but he was kind of sort of the second striker a shadow striker if you will and I think he bagged like four games four goals in four games and, and an assist for, for for what it's worth and it just got me thinking that maybe the actual best way to get the the best out of room Loftus-Cheek is to play him with an Alexander Mitrovic and maybe you kill two birds with one stone yeah I think so if we're, if we're looking at getting the best out of Loftus-Cheek and, and Mitrovic in the same side I would tend to agree I, I would I would Although the, the tactical setup would probably be asking a lot more on Bobby Reed and Robinson because you wouldn't have too much wide play as such, but I do think a more of a three-four-one-two as opposed to a three-four-three. As if you have lost a cheek just in behind and Mitrovic and Lutman. Yes, Lutman can sort of drift out wide, but actually, t- if those two are actually a, a two-strike formation, you have. Lost a cheek in behind them, but I think w- if we are going to get the best out of our players in this tactic, I think moving to that sort of system, especially if we get uh, Kenny Kenny Tete back and you have him and Rompton as two, you know, bombing up and down wing backs, and then you could have, you know, even if Mitrovic isn't playing, you could have Reed and Lookman up top behind the likes of a Lost a cheek or a Kenny. But I do think the three four three for Lost a cheek isn't working because I know you know when he played at Everton, he, but he, not Everton, sorry, at Palace, sorry. He was um, an like, yeah. was yeah, but it was in more of a four four two situation. Yeah, so absolutely. it was it was it was it's completely different. But I do yeah, I do think that a three four one two being continue with this wing back sort of system is going to be the best way to get the best out of someone like Mitrich who can play with Adam Lutman and Lofsa Cheek or Tom Kenny depending on who you find. But I think the issue for me with Lofsa Cheek. He just, it's just, it just seems physically, just seems so slow and sluggish, and that's something you haven't associated with Loom's roster cheap throughout his career. You've seen it as quite a mobile, dynamic sort of attacker, and he, I don't know if that's if his injury is finally keeping up with him. But for me, it's not like his technical ability that seems to be the thing that's off at the moment. It just seems to be for me, he just seems so slow and sluggish off the ball. But I think if we are to get the best out of him. And we know there's a good player in there. We even saw that in the 2018 World Cup of England, obviously under Gareth Southgate, that, you know, there is a player there. But I do think playing him as a 10 is really the in this, if we're going to play this sort of system, is the only way to get the best out of him. But then would you rather see someone like Tom Kearney playing in there? For me personally, I would. I don't think Kearney did necessarily... And I don't think Kearney played well against Newcastle. But I don't think he did necessarily any worse than Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably about right. I don't think there was too much here between them in those performances. Cam, I mean, you put it in the article, as I, as I mentioned. And how do you feel you unlock him? No, I, I completely agree with what Dom said. And that's more or less what I put down in the article. To get the best out of him, he needs to be just shadowing a, a main focal point. Just He can pick up the scraps and potentially play them in. And he can sort of just bounce off of their enterprise up top as well. And against uh, against Southampton, you saw him and, and Lydia said it as well. He sort of gravitated towards the flanks a lot. And he, he more or less impeded the way that we played up the flanks. I mean, I know he got the ball into the box to Lookman to... Um, to lay up uh, Zambo but apart from that he didn't really have an effect on the game and he kind of uh, counteracts his own abilities from being in that berth Um, so if he's going to be a feature in in, in our system which he definitely can be like I say I mean there's 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 a tremendous player in there with with a with a hell of a work rate once he's uh, once he's up to speed Um, he needs to be playing just off a Mitrovic for me and possibly you know, if, there, if there's going to be a strike partnership up top, it would be Mitrovic and Lukman because it's a little and large scenario really there, isn't it? Where you have Mitrovic to hold up the ball, potentially slip Ward, um, to potentially slip um, Lukman through. And, uh, you, you know, I just I just think Ruben Loftus-Cheek, if he's drifting in and around uh, the 18-yard box in those counter-attacks just to pick up the balls and potentially keep it moving or at least have a pop shot, it could work for him. But he's he's not necessarily a holding midfielder. He's not somebody that can be um, that, that deals well under high pressure. You saw it. He was getting crowded out by um, Diallo 
and uh, Ward-Prowse quite comprehensively, and he just doesn't cope very well there. So, so yeah, he's a number ten, and that's 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 the best we're going to get out of him. But I like TC in that in that position. So it's a dilemma that we have to deal with, and it's something that we're going to have to come to terms with in January in some some way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another one for Scotty to have a serious think about. We're going to move on to taking a look at the Spurs game, but just before we do, I wanted to just highlight uh, a brilliant shout from from Sam. On Twitter who said is Mariano Diaz the answer to all of our prayers obviously at Real Madrid he says how do we have a front three without sacrificing the solidity of our five at the back and I think the second part of that question has been answered but I really enjoyed that he messaged me to say Ariola could have a word in his ear and thus survival is ensured <laughs> and, and I just really like the idea of Alphonse Ariola becoming becoming a football agent for Fulham as well as being a superhero at the back right we'll be back after the break to talk Spurs don't go anywhere Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast, where we are looking ahead to the Spurs game in a couple of days. Now, Spurs are literally playing right now as we record this. So it is 1-0 uh, to them as we speak after Tongue and Dombele has scored a thunderbolt within about 55 seconds of the game kicking off. Um, but... It's a it's a strange old time for Spurs. They they lost against Liverpool and then had a little bit of a, a wobble. And with Fulham in the form that we're in, is there any chance, Lids, that we get something out of this one? Oh, I mean, it's going to be a very tough ask, isn't it? Um, you know, up against Jose Mourinho, up against um, Harry Kane and and Son, who have been despite their, their little bobble recently, um, you know, are, are in great form. Um, I think if it is some, a game that we're looking to, you know, possibly getting something from, it's going to have to be a bit of a smash and grab for me. Um, I don't think we're exactly going to go uh, go there and, and play them off the park. Um, I think it's, you know, I don't know, we can maybe do a Liverpool on them, but I'm just, I'm just not quite sure about that. I mean, Dom, to take this, you know, one step further. Yes, there are elements of this that are obviously scary, given the the form that Spurs are in. But you also look at some of their results, and you look at them going to Palace, and you know, scraping a win. You look at the last couple of games, and actually, it's the teams that you know who come on to Spurs who have who have really kind of suffered under this new Parker system. I can't massively see us doing that, and. And that does suggest that there might be this might be a little bit closer than we perhaps expect. Yeah, I spoke to one of my Spurs mates and I said if we approach this in the same way we approached the our home game to Liverpool, we'll cause um Spurs a lot of problems. Yes, we we know we can hit them on the counter attack. So yeah, I know I know they've they've got some good players. It's, you know, the, even in in the in defensive areas, but Aurier and Ben Davis are players to be got at. You know, they they are players you you can get in behind of. And the way Spurs play, they really look for those pockets of space in in behind us. And we haven't really been allowing teams to have that space, really. You know, I know I know uh, if you look at you know Shane Long's offside goal, but he was offside, so therefore he, we, it we doesn't really count. Yeah. It doesn't really count. I mean, if you, look, if you look at Liverpool, you know their their goal came because of a dubious penalty decision from a handball from a free kick. You know, we weren't letting. It's, and it's the Callum Wilson one that perhaps scares me the most. Yeah, exactly. That's the only time that a player has gone in and, you know, if, if the referee did his job, it wouldn't have been a free kick and not a penalty and we would have won that game probably. But still, um, that's not really the point. <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't, I don't think we're allowing teams to have this space in behind. I don't think uh, Kane and Son are going to have as much joy as some people might expect them to who, aren't, who haven't been watching Fulham recently. So I am, I'm confident that we can get something from this game just because... Of, especially of how we played against Liverpool. I understand it was a home game as opposed to an away game and there were fans there, obviously the difference that made. But I do think we can we can get something against it because it's not like the Spurs team are like untouchable and like unbeatable or anything. Yes, they've got some good players, but if Kane and Son aren't on their day, then that that's where Spurs' goals haven't really been coming from too much else. I know, as we spoke about, Tangai and Dombele scored today after what was it fifty five seconds. But you know, part of, they haven't their midfield hasn't really been exactly popping up with too many goals. They've been so heavily reliant on Kane and Son, and you know, it took for as we said for a penalty for you know the likes of Firmino, Salah, and Mane to score against us. So I think if we can limit them at, uh, attacking wise, like we did against against Liverpool, I am confident that we can get something from this game, and you know, it could. Take be a fifth draw in a row. Yeah, no, I think that that's quite reasonable. Cam, I mean, how how would you set us up? No, I'd agree. I mean, we can't offer um, Human Son and Harry Kane the space to operate the way that they have done. That 
that kind of fluid, um, you know, free-formed attack that they have between one another. And I don't think that will happen. And you touched on, obviously, the Callum Wilson um, scenario, but Newcastle weren't necessarily attacking us in the same way that Tottenham would. And um, I think we just caught, we got caught, we got caught out against Newcastle in that in that respect. Um, but we're going to be switched on defensively against against them. I mean, going forward, they're they're a real danger, and um, I'd like to think that we're we're going to we're going to have every uh, every player fighting fit for it too, and, and and ready to counteract the way that they they move forward so freely. And you know, I, I think the middle of the park, as it is in the Premier League, is always uh, is always an area where you have to dominate. And if they're gonna if they're gonna line up with Hoiberg and and Winks, I quite fancy Anguissa and Lamina to overpower them. I know that Hoiberg's got a nice a nice bit of physicality about him too, but you know, um, Anguis has been indomitable this season, and he's he's in a complete different class of his own. And I think it's slot quite nicely into their midfield, saying that. And Harry Winks is a cute player; he can he can offer a lot going forward and slip plays in behind. But if you have someone like uh, Lamina just on his tail all the time and uh, snapping away at him, it could uh, it could really it could really hinder his effect on the game too. And yeah, completely right. I think if we if we if we approached them from wide like we did um, against against Liverpool, trying to make things happen um, along the flanks and put Ben Davis under pressure, if Sergio Aurier plays and he's he's a real liability in himself to them too. He's been playing quite well recently, but then of course uh, a gaff a couple of weeks ago just proves that he hasn't really turned the corner, and we need to we need to really stick it on him. So. I, I just think we need to play with a high intensity, but also be aware that we are playing against a very, very uh, reactive side, a Jose Mourinho side, which are are ultimately going to uh, going to attack the game as well. So just be confident, be brave, but be wary. That's all it is. Lids on a on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for the for the source matchup of Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa against Tongi and Dombele? It's like one of them's trying to flick the ball over the other one always, and the other one's trying to do whirlwind turns, you know, on the floor. It's gonna be it's a hell of a matchup. It is. It's gonna be beautiful. <laughs> I think um yeah, I think I think what, what's gonna be quite fun about that is that they might they might actually just try the whole match to to outdo each other. Um so it might it might be quite quite fun to watch that. Um I, I'd agree with the fact that I think Lamina, um Lamina and Anguisa could you know, outpower the, 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 their midfield. Uh, so ho- ho- hopefully, it'll, it'll, it, you know that that's going to happen. Um, I would, I'm hoping we're we play more like we did against Liverpool than we set up against Man City because uh, we didn't we didn't lay a glove on them at all. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for something a little bit more offensive from Scott, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, we will indeed. It's a it's a funny one. I mean, Dom, I'm just going to run you through the team you'd start. So um, I'm going to ask all three of you this, and then and we'll probably call this a day. So are you going with with any changes, Dom? Uh, yeah, I I I make I'd bring in the two players who were dropped essentially. I bring in Kearney and uh, Alexander Mitrovic for Ivan Cavallero and Ruben Loftus Cheek. Um, because obviously we st- I still aren't aware of what the latest is with Ken Tete because is. His wife just gave birth, but of course, if you take the famous Roy Keane quote, he's like, he didn't have the kids, so why is he not playing? Um, <laughs> all right, all right, Roy Keane. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I do. I I would just bring Mitrovic and Kearney back into the squad just because I didn't think Cavallero and um, Nostrich offered any more than they necessarily did in the game. And I think you know if we have if we're playing if we play it more of a three four one two as opposed to a three four three, I really think that. If we can get the wing backs really bombing on and playing like they did against Liverpool, I really think we can cause them some issues. So, yeah, I'd be bringing in uh, Mitrovic and Kearney for this one. But you'd keep Harrison Reed ahead of Mario Lamina? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> no, um, I've, I d- I d- I'm not too sure because it's it's one of those games where we are going to be sitting back. And I think, you know, I, I'd maybe sometimes think like Lamina drives forward too much. I think in a game against Newcastle, I think Lamina can 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 be exception can be exceptional, and he was. But it's a tough one. But I probably would I probably would stick with Harrison Reed, and then I think because then I think Lamina is a good a good player we could bring on for a bit more uh, combat a bit more of a combative approach in the second half possibly. Cam, uh, yeah, more or less the same as Dom. I'd like to see Mitrovic back in the squad. I mean, uh, last time we played Tottenham away in the Premier League, of course, he scored that great goal on on the end of uh, a thirty odd pass move. I'm not saying that we're going to go out and be a possessionate team in any means. And you know, next time we play them, but I'd like to see him back. I'd like to see him play against a top Premier League uh, a Premier League club to see how he he reacts. 
Um, and obviously that will be at uh, Caballero's expense. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like Lamina to come into the squad. I, I, I hear what Dom's saying. Of course, you need to possibly be a bit more reserved and a bit more cautious, but I'd like us to attack the game from the off. And, you know, if we find ourselves 2-0 down, that's when you bring someone like Reed on to shore it up. Um, and I, also Tom Kearney, of course. I mean, once again, Dom's completely correct in the fact that he needs to play play in these games, especially if Mitrovic is playing. The, the two have a, a telepathic connection um, once on the same wavelength with one another. And Ruben Loftus Cheek, uh, I think he he does definitely uh, he does he needs a little little stint on the sideline just to think about how he's going to uh, move on in his career and his, his immediate future at Fulham as well. Um, and and yeah, once again, he, he's already hit the nail on the head with Kenny Tetter. You don't know when he's going to be back, um, but I don't think anything's broken defensively. So it's, it's the old adage again, why fix it? Especially when uh, BDR is doing so well in that capacity. So those are the changes I'll make. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just go with that. Uh, Liz, I'm going to just put, uh, posit you a, I would go 5-3-2 um, and I would go, Angisa, Lamina, and Reed in the middle. I would stodge it up and then go Mitrovic and Loftus Cheek up top. Uh, and, oh, wow. and I think that you know there's there's something in there to just cause people a little bit of confusion. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd just be interested to see your thoughts. Uh, did, sorry, did you say Mitrovic and Loftus Cheek up top? I did, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, I'm just making sure I I I, I was hearing you right. Um, I'm just, I mean, I'm not convinced. I have to say, I'm not not convinced. Um, I'm not sure Reed and Lamina would necessarily. I mean, they're pretty much a very similar player. Um, is I I don't know. I mean, as you say, Loftus Cheek might work better as a shadow striker. So in which case, it might be an absolute stroke of genius. <laughs> I'm not sure I would go for that. I think. Um, Neither of them are particularly mobile, and so you'd just be sticking to not very mobile forward-thinking players up top. Um, but you know, um, if you want to make that call, Jack, that's that's totally up to you. Yeah, just one one bold thing. Would you make any changes to what Dom and Dom and Cam said? Liz? <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm pr- pretty much uh, the same. Apart from, I would definitely have L- um, Lamina on ahead of Reed uh, for this one. Um, but yeah, M- Mitrovic and Kearney in ahead of um, Cav and Loftus Cheek, and then obviously L- um, the Lamina and um, and Reed swap. As I say, I would like to see K- Kenny Tete back, um, but you know what. Uh, as Dom says, we don't really know what his situation is yet. Um, but as soon as he's fit, I think he needs to come back um, back into the side. Okay, dokie. Dom, we are going to have uh, a preview with the Spurs fan, but it's not going to be on this podcast. So by the time this is out, it may well also be out. Yeah, um, so on tomorrow, which will be the Monday, I'll be chatting to Ricky Sachs from Last Word on Spurs. Get a bit of an insight to Spurs' season so far. Have a bit, bit of a chat with him. Uh, about 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 the game, yeah, it, sh- it sh- should be a good one, especially depending on what uh, the Spurs Wolf games end up finishing tonight. But you know, yeah, in, to have a little chat about him with sort of the areas that Fulham can damage Spurs um, on the thirtieth. Yeah, and Ricky's a good guy, so well worth your time going and have a listen to that on our YouTube channel. And that is pretty much it for us. Uh, there's one thing left to do, Dom, and that's to name this podcast. So I'm gonna go with one of the earlier ones we said off Instagram from Kai Martin, and that's Vars a Saint. Yeah, very, very good. A a clever little bit of wordplay, and there's nothing I like more. And all that's left for me to do after that is to say thank you very much to Lydia Campbell. Thank you, guys. To Cameron Ramsey. Pleasure, JC. And to Dominic Betts. It's all right. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Footage Podcast. We'll be back after the Spurs game to break it all down. Happy New Year, Fulham fans. We hope that 2021, it brings a return to the cottage more than anything else, but also peace and prosperity to all of you and yours. Take care. You wait.